0: Well, good morning, Nation family, coming to you from our sanctuary and our church building. Um, It's extremely weird to have chairs in front of us, but uh, this whole time has been weird. Can't wait to see your faces. I can picture in my mind where everybody sits because you're such creatures of habit. It's funny. Um, Soon, Lord willing, we are going to be meeting together on Sundays in person. And, uh, you know, take advantage of the opportunities where we can meet, where we can meet with one another, as Kristen talked about. Um, years ago, when I was first
1: pastoring,
0: I was a youth pastor. And our church would always do this huge Easter performance, like several nights in a row. And thousands of people would roll in and out of the building, live animals, music, all of that. And my first assignment was I was supposed to be the lobby pastor. I was to, to serve the people that were in the overflow area. And I remember this night as I was walking through the lobby doing my job, right, I noticed that someone had thrown up on the floor. And I, I don't do well with other people's throw up. I don't know about you, but... Uh, it's, that's not an easy thing for me. So I panicked in that moment. And I, was, I just acted like I didn't see it, and I kept walking. And um, I didn't get too far before I had felt a complete conviction and had a thought in my head that if, if Jesus was there, he would have been the first one to get down and serve and be faithful. So I walked back to the scene of the crime, and... Somebody was already had beat me to it and was already cleaning up. And I remember saying, Lord, I'm sorry that I was not faithful to serve there. And I said, next time I will. I kid you not, next Easter, fast forward one year, I walk into the men's room in our building, and someone had vomited all over the men's room. And I was like, Lord, why this? Can I learn whatever I'm supposed to learn <laughs> another way? And uh, I stopped doing that. I went and got some gloves and some cleaning stuff, and I was going to make sure I was going to be the one that served in that moment. I don't say that to brag that I'm a great servant. I tell you, I'm growing and have always been growing and learning in faithfulness, just like you. Faithfulness is my word for the year uh, that God gave me to, to focus on, that God hasn't called me to be successful. He said, be faithful, do what you know to do today and be faithful to what you know to do today. Faithfulness to me is who we are when no one's looking. Your, your reputation is who people perceive you to be publicly. Faithfulness is who we really are, our integrity when no one's looking. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, as for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority." I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. My conscience is clear. But that doesn't prove I'm right. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. So don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns. For he will bring our darkest secrets to light and will will reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. That moves me. Because what I see from that is we're going to be evaluated and rewarded based upon our faithfulness. Not your faithfulness to do what somebody else was called to do, but faithfulness to do what he asked you to do. Be faithful to the people he puts in your life. Be faithful to be the person he he designed you to be. And So we're going to be rewarded for that by Jesus, who is the perfect example of faithfulness. We're rounding third base, so to speak, in our series on Ephesians. Um, we've got today and next week, and then we'll be done with Ephesians. And Ephesians, if you remember, the first three chapters are all about our position in Christ. Jesus has, has brought us into his relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And everything that is his, he has shared with us. Every spiritual blessing. He's given to us. We don't need to ask for it. He's already given it to us. Chapters four, five, and six move from position to practical, to practice, living out who we are in Jesus. And so today we're talking about being rooted in faithfulness. That's the theme of Ephesians is being rooted in Christ. So we're rooted in faithfulness as he's faithful. I think faithfulness is one of those often overlooked uh, forms or acts of worship. When no one's looking, what am I like? How do I I behave? The first question to ask is, am I faithful? Do I submit to authority? Do I submit to to authority that God's placed in my life, first to him and then to the authorities in my life? Authority, you can submit to authority by force, which no one ever likes that, obviously. You can submit to authority out of fear. Um, Our oldest daughter is in the Navy, and I remember the day she went off to boot camp, and she had one call, and she called me, and she said, Dad, I'm here, I gotta go. And the whole time, the, the little small seconds of her talking I could hear people in the background yelling and screaming and you blankety blank blah 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 get off that phone and uh, she said that when she got off the bus all the recruits got off the bus that they were already chewing them out and they were gonna show them who was boss and what it meant to submit to authority Um, one of the female officers she said was chewing out somebody and whatever she said made my daughter laugh And man, they were in her face right away, chewing her out as as well. The right way as followers of Jesus to submit to authority is out of reverence, reverence for him. Paul says in Ephesians 5.21, submit or come under the covering of one another out of reverence for Christ. Now we, God has put authority in our life. Government, laws are put there That we obey the the laws, we obey the government, we pay our taxes, we follow the the traffic, uh, you know, laws, speed limits, right? I'm sure we all do that. We obey teachers, they're in a position of authority, even if they irritate us, we we obey them because they're in a, a position of authority. Is there ever a time to not submit to authority? Of course there is. If someone in authority is asking us to sin, to do something immoral, to break the law of love, then yeah, we're not submitting to that. Um, In the book of Acts, Peter and the disciples are are literally thrown in jail for uh, preaching about Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. And they they're thrown in jail and they're beaten. And then when they're releasing them, they say, you stop preaching Jesus. And Peter said, you can do to us what you want to, but we're going to obey God rather than you. So that is the ultimate coming under the authority of Jesus. But when it comes to practical authority, general authority, the Apostle Paul has some some, uh, advice for us. And Titus, he says, remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. Now, right now, we find ourselves in turmoil as a country. We're so polarized. And I think we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak, like James says. He says, the anger of man never brings about the righteousness of God. So we need to listen. We need to pray for God to heal and to touch hearts. Because Paul goes on to say, everyone must submit, this is in Romans, submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you're doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them not only to avoid punishment, but to also keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes, too, for, this, for these same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them, and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. In a time where we, there's, there's just such a tug of war of ideology and points of view. And whatever anybody says is going to seem wrong to somebody. And what we have to do is, is love, 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 is be people of love and listen and not just be quick to give an opinion, but quick to listen and slow to speak and pray. Switching from from looking at faithfulness to general authority, how about faithfulness in the home? Faithfulness in our homes to the married. How do I treat my spouse? Last week we talked about Christian marriage and and what that looks like. If you didn't get a chance to listen to it, I would encourage you to go back and and listen to to what, what God's idea for marriage is. And even if you didn't listen to it and you're not married, you'll learn about what it means, Christ and the church, which is really that mystery of marriage, as Paul said. But how do I treat my spouse when no one else is looking? Everybody's always on their better behavior when you're with other people. But when the doors are closed, how do we speak to one another? How do we care for one another? Chapter 5, verse 33. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husbands. Husbands set the tone for the home. We are to to lead and labor and love our wives as Christ loved the church. Husbands, treat your spouse, treat your wife the way you want your daughter to be treated by her husband one day. I mean... As a dad of two daughters, I want to treat my wife the way I want my daughters to be treated. It's to cherish, to love, and honor that your wife is God's daughter. And she is your sister in Christ. And so she is to be cherished, to, to be protected, to know that she's the priority of your life. Wives, respect your husbands. That means. To encourage your husband, to show admiration, to, to call out the good in him. We as men get discouraged real easy, and, and then we get proud, and we don't want to talk about our, our discouragement because we might appear weak. But the best marriages are those marriages where the husband can be vulnerable to his wife about his fears and his, his, his weaknesses as a husband, and then without being judged and, and, and critiqued, you get to call out of him goodness and tell him how to be a better husband. Man, when the, when the, the pride is removed from, from the equation, that's when marriage gets back, moves away from conflict to resolution to both husband and wife, you know, functioning better.
1: And then I want to talk to the kids
0: especially those that are, that are living at home. We're all someone's kids and at some season of life of being a kid, but um, for those kids living at home, are you faithful in honoring your parents? Am I honoring my parents is the question. Are you faithful in that? The advice from Paul, he says, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well with you and you will have a long life on the earth. Obey and honor. Are you faithful kids to obey your parents? Um, You know, even when they're not looking, that's the starting point of you knowing God and relating to God and, And who he is in your life, and doing what he says to do is to do what your parents tell you to do, even when they're not they're not looking. Um, How are you going to obey a God you can't see if you don't obey your parents, whom you can see right now? I remember teaching my kids that very principle. Listen, if you can't obey me or or, or your parents, how are you going to, you know, obey the Lord? I remember one time one of my kids was being disobedient and, and, and argumentative and all that, and I had left the room, and I overheard my other child say, if you can't obey dad, how are you ever going to obey God? And I thought, yes, man, somebody actually listened to what I, I had to say. So you obey, and then you honor your, your parents. You obey because you believe your parents have your best interest at heart. Because God has your best interest at heart. When God tells us to do something or not to do it, it's because he has our good intention for us. Same with your parents. Honor them. Your parents might not always act honorable. I know I don't. But give them grace. Honor your, honor your parent, God by how you speak to your parents. Speak to your parents in a way that is honorable, not dishonorable. They are how God chose to bring you into this world, and guess what? They're broken sinners in need of the gospel, so they need grace from you. And the interesting part about this is it brings a reward. It's a a promise, not a threat, of a long life if you honor and obey your parents. Let's switch it over to, to us parents. Am I being faithful in how I'm treating my children? Parents, are we being faithful in how we treat our children? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Now, this obviously is true for moms, too. It's a, it's a parenting principle that's there. Um, we have single moms or widows. That you're, you're, you're raising kids with, without a dad. So. It's don't provoke your children to anger. But I think dads are singled out for a reason. We have a father crisis in the world. The lack of fathers literally in the home and the lack of fathers that are in the home but are actually doing the responsibility of being a father. Um, We go to the Dominican a lot, and we see in the sugarcane villages, there is, where are the men? There's a lot of kids and ladies, but there's not a ton of men. They're, they're good at making kids, but, but fathering them, they, they become absent. And that's all over the world, not just there. And it's, it's a crisis in culture, the absent father. Dads, you, we are shaping our kids' view of God the Father. You, God put that, you are shaping what, what they your kid's picture of what God the Father is like. John Eldridge, and I totally agree with him, he said, he said, Dads, your son needs to hear from you. You got what it takes. You need to stamp that on his heart, uh, encouraging him that he can do this. You got what it takes. Send that message to your son. Not tearing him down, but, but you can do this. And then Dad's Our daughters need to hear from us that they're lovely and lovable. That needs to be stamped on your daughter's heart that she's lovely and lovable. Because if she doesn't hear it from you from the time she's little, she's going to try to find it somewhere else. Then he says, not to provoke anger in your children. Don't provoke anger. What does that mean to provoke anger? It, it's, it's, how do we do that? We do that with rules without relationship. Because I said so. That's always going to bring about anger. You don't have to have your, your son or daughter agree with your rules. Like, you make the rules, I get it, but explain why. Because God always explains when he tells us to do something or not to do it, it's because he loves us and he's looking out for us. Now, your kid's not going to agree with you on it, but at least... It's, it's rules with relationship, not absence of, of relationship. The tone of our voice provokes anger. The scowls on our face can provoke anger. Excessive demands can provoke anger. Forcing your kids to, to be the best at everything. You know, you got to be the best student. You got to be the best athlete. You got to be the best musician. And, and, and so many times parents are guilty of, of vicariously finding their identity in the success of their children. We end up driving them away. we got to watch that. That provokes anger in our kids. You've been to a Little League game lately, and it's crazy how parents' expectations they have of their kids. And then lack of relationship. What spells love to a kid is time spending time together. Do every, Daddy, will you do this with me? Play every game of Candyland that you can, uh, or, or whatever, play catch, any of those things, spending time together. When you're in the car, if you have time with your kids, and you're in the car with them, instead of being on the phone talking to somebody else, talk to your kids. I've got just practice there. That already creates 15, 20, 30 minutes of talk time without any, it's built in. And your job is to disciple your kids, dad, mom, you too. But but this says fathers, so I'm focusing on dads right now. Dad, disciple your kids. Spend time going over Bible verses with them, praying with them. Your job is not just to protect them from the world, but to prepare them for real life and to be a, a wholehearted follower of Jesus. Model discipleship to your kids. Look for opportunities to, to teach your kids about life pr- practically. I remember the first time I talked to my kids about sex. <laughs> it came up. I wasn't planning on doing that, but a question was asked in a, in a car ride from the back seat about that, and, and asked me in private sometime. It's a funny story, but) uh, I was like I'm not going to let them learn this from from the playground or somewhere else they they're, they're going to hear about this first from me. And I would say this, you might have some conviction dad right now. You know what? It's never too late to repent. Whatever season of parenting you're in is to say, you know what? I want to spend more time. I want to I'm sorry for the way I speak to you or, you know, excessive discipline to our kids, when we discipline our kids in anger, like don't ever do that. Like it, disciplining your child is is to train them. It's not retribution out of anger. And so when you do that, if you get angry, immediately repent and tell your son or your daughter that you're sorry and ask for their forgiveness. Kids are, are good at forgiving, but they'll remember that dad is humble and dad is, is willing to admit when he's wrong. And it's never too late for that. How about moving from the home, faithfulness in the home, to the workplace? Am I, am I faithful in the workplace? Do I honor my boss or those over me even when they're not looking? Um, we're going to read in the, a few verses in chapter six that talk about servants and masters. Some of your translations will say slaves. And it, this. Passage has been grossly misunderstood and used to say that the Bible is okay with slavery. Not at all. You got to remember, Paul's writing a letter to a real place with real stuff going on, and at that time, slaves were um, not—they were not taken against their will. They were people who declared bankruptcy, or they were paying off a debt of some sort by serving and, and, and serving, some, serving someone else. And so that language of servant or slave and master, we need to look at it as our employee-employer relationships. He says, servants, respectfully obey your earthly masters, but always with an eye to obeying the real master, Christ. Don't just do what you have to do to get by, but work heartily, as Christ's servants, doing what God wants you to do. And work with a smile on your face, always keeping in mind that no matter who happens to be giving the orders, you're really serving God. Good work will get you good pay from the master, regardless of whether you are slave or free. Would your boss know that you are a follower of Jesus by how you work? Could they just tell that you follow Jesus by the work that you do? People often tell me, hey, Scott, you're doing the work of the Lord. Uh, So are you if you're a follower of Jesus. Pastors and missionaries are not the only ones doing the work of the Lord. Whoever is working is working unto the Lord, as unto the Lord. And so whatever job you do, you're working to glorify Jesus. That's why we all are doing the Lord's work. It's a great opportunity at work to glorify God and to grow in our Christ likeness. We need to remember that at Jesus, as a, as he came to serve, he said, the son of man did not come to, to be served, but to serve. He is our model. He's our humble, faithful Lord that we are modeling our, our lives after. And so when it comes to, to work, just remember you're serving Jesus and you're, you're doing it as unto Him. Rick Ferguson said that you can tell if you have a servant's heart or not by how you respond when you're treated like one. If someone tells you to do something in a manner that you don't like or made you feel like a servant, our response usually is, you don't, you don't tell me what to do, right? We, we, we bristle at that. But the person that's becoming like Jesus, not a doormat, but a person that realizes I'm working as unto the Lord doesn't sweat that in the same way. So as unto
1: the Lord. And then if you're a
0: boss, if you're an employer, are you faithful? Are you faithful to treat your employees or those you oversee with care and respect? With care and respect. Ephesians 6, 9, he says, masters, it's it's the same with you. No abuse, please, and no threats. You and your servants are both under the same master in heaven. He makes no distinction between you and them. Same question, reverse it. Would your employees know that you are a Christian by your example as a boss? Would they know that you're a Christian by, or a follower of Jesus by the way you lead them on the job? How do you become a great boss or a, or a great leader or a great overseer or, or whatever? You could be like, like, like Michael Scott and go buy yourself a, a coffee cup that says world's best boss and, and try to you know, schmooze your way into that, but that didn't work out too good for him. He wasn't a bad boss, though how do you become a good boss? Don't be bossy. Like, that's, that's the key to being a good boss. Don't be bossy. Be fair. Be gracious. Don't misuse your authority and manipulate people. Don't play favorites. I think ultimately remembering that you're being faithful to our ultimate boss, the Lord Jesus, by how you treat your employees. And then lastly, in, in, in just kind of a, Summary of all of this in being faithful. Ask ourselves the question Am I living all of my life
1: in reverence for Jesus?
0: The other day, I was working, and when I work, I put on headphones. So it kind of helps me tune out distractions. And in our house, my office, and living room and kitchen are all on the same floor. And my wife, Janelle, was was doing something, and she called out my name from the other side of the room. And I heard her call my name, but I ignored her because I felt inconvenient trying to get something done. And she actually physically walked over, tapped me on the shoulder. She had no idea that I had ignored her. And she uh, asked her question, and she walked back. Again, tremendous conviction fell upon me that, you know, I just ignored my wife and pretended like I didn't hear her. And, And I remember thinking, faithfulness, faithfulness, faithfulness in everything, faithfulness in the little things. No one would have ever known but me in that moment. She didn't know. But I wasn't gonna let that slide, so I took my headphones off, and I walked over to her, and I said, "Sweetheart, um, I heard you call me, and and I ignored you. Will you forgive me?" And uh, like she does ten thousand times a day, she forgave me, and and it was all good. And and she knows, you know, how how much I want to be faithful to the Lord, and and in that, and so. It's another growing moment in in who we are when no one's looking. Who are we? That's faithfulness defined. One of the catalysts in life for spiritual growth and maturity is when we take responsibility immediately for our actions and our behaviors. I would say the flip side of that is one of the biggest obstacles to maturity and growth is not taking responsibility. Overlooking those little things like, like what, I, what happened with me and ignoring my wife is one of those things that it's, you, if, you, if you don't listen to the promptings and obey them immediately, you become dull. You don't hear as well. The more quick we are to, to, to obey and the more quick we are to repent when we blow it, the more we'll grow. But if you don't take responsibilities for your life and your own behavior and you're blaming other people, then you're gonna you're going to just stall in your spiritual growth. But when you say, Lord, I want to be faithful, faithful, faithful in the little things, and when no one's looking, you will grow.
1: So as I said earlier, the first
0: three chapters of Ephesians is our position in Jesus. These last four are practical, living out the life of Christ in us. And so practically, which one of these questions has God put his loving conviction finger upon? (laughs) He he, he puts his finger on our hearts sometimes in a loving way and says, I'm going to change you. I want you to cooperate with me. I want you to become who you're supposed to be in Jesus Christ. Which one of those questions about just submitting to authority in general, maybe? Maybe it's how you treat your spouse. Maybe it's how you treat your parents. Maybe it's how you treat your kids. Maybe it's how you work for your boss or how you treat your employees. Or just in in general. Where does God have his finger there? And will you repent, which means to change your mind and to change direction in, in how you're going in that? Remember, we're rooted in his faithfulness. That's why we can, can live faithfully as well. Let me pray.
1: Lord, you are faithful.
0: And you're an amazing, amazing Lord and Savior. I pray for everybody that's watching and listening, Lord, that we would be people who express faithfulness faithfulness in the little things. God, where you've convicted us, we, we, we want to respond with action and change our mind and change our, our direction in our attitudes, our thoughts, and, and literally in our behavior. We want to become more like you. Thank you for your spirit leading us. Father, thank you for your love in us. Jesus, you are our Lord. We declare that together. Jesus, you are Lord. We love you. Amen. Have a blessed week, and uh, stay tuned for details on things that we're going to be doing in person, and as soon as possible, having our service together in person.